I received a question this week from uh, both a family member as well as one of my patients that uh, inspired me to go ahead and uh, and do this podcast today, which is, is your doctor really a doctor? Well, this week, um, the, I had a patient reach out to me and say they had seen a campaign online that was titled exactly that, is your doctor really a doctor? And what they explained to me was that uh, they had they had this uh, a campaign that said, hey, many times people think they're seeing a doctor for their treatment and they're actually not. They're seeing a doctor's assistant who doesn't actually have the supervision that many would recommend for their doctor. And so they, uh, they inquired with me saying, uh, Dr. Watson, you say you're a doctor. Can you confirm that you are a doctor who has been to medical school? And I wrote back, yes, I am somebody who has been to medical school and graduated residency. I am a doctor or physician. And they, they wrote back, okay, great, thanks. And, and they were very curious about that. Um, I also had a family member say to me, now, now they, they call me by my name and they said, are you a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Which one are you? And they said, well, I'm getting really confused because both of them go by the name doctor. And so I laughed and said, I'm a psychiatrist. And then they said, what's the difference? And that is exactly what this podcast today is all about is when you hear somebody saying doctor, are you aware that it could be a physician, but it might also be a physician's helper and that the training is completely different, but both are appropriately titled with the title of doctor. And that is going to be today's topic that we're going to clarify. There are a lot of mental health experts out there that'll give you their list of tips that they think will help. The problem is they're based on their perception of what is right and wrong. At University Elite, we do something different. We treat our patients using sound psychological, neurological, and physiological science. We know what works and what doesn't. We don't get confused with what's right versus wrong. While others continue to struggle with these tips that they've received, we help people gain the long-term happiness and well-being with our approach. Welcome to the University Elite Podcast, where you learn the why behind human behavior and how to live a truly happy life. Now, your host is a combat-proven veteran, physician, master psychotherapist, diet expert, trauma authority, and someone who has everyday common sense. Dr. Hans Watson. Well, welcome back to another episode of Mental Health and the Good Life. Um, this is one that people wondered about a lot is when I hear somebody say they're doctor, what does that really mean? And so uh, I'll tell you, it gets really confusing if you don't know this, but after today, we're gonna quickly explain it and, and tell some fun stories and hopefully you come out of here understanding the difference and you'll understand why everybody who calls themselves doctor does a different role and we couldn't really survive without each other and so the idea that we're gonna fight with each other and say you are and you aren't that's just silly those are people who don't understand it but instead they're each a vital part of the team and that's what we're gonna look at so um, we'll start off with when I was in the military uh, I actually used the term doctor as a way of fighting back against a a group of people and distinguishing myself from them because I didn't feel like they were ethical and I didn't want to be uh, lumped in with them. And so the, I had a command that I considered to be quite unethical. I, I felt like they put politics above the actual people they were supposed to be caring for. And so one of the ways that these people were, were identified was that they were higher ranking. And I'd been in the military long enough that by this time I also was a higher ranking officer. So instead of letting people call me by my rank, and name which they would do 
Instead, you know, uh, I would come in and say, no, call me doctor and then my last name. So I went by Doc Watson for most people. And the real reason was I didn't want to be associated with these leaders that I felt were uh, unethical in how they were approaching and, and how they weren't putting people first in my opinion. And so that was one way that I used doctor, but I, it wasn't so much like other people. I had other people who the term of doctor to them was trying to, to uh, gain respect from people. And I, I hold the opinion, respect is earned. You don't just get it by having the right title. And many people in bureaucracies and those that really uh, struggle to feel good about themselves and what they're accomplishing, they will worry more about the title than they will about the, uh, uh, the, the things that they're accomplishing. And so for me, this has never been a big deal, but I remember I worked in a, in a uh, I ran a large rehabilitation facility that did mental health as well as, um, as, well as uh, substance abuse. And in there, there was a psychologist who insisted everybody call that person doctor, um, even when they weren't in a professional setting where they would be providing that. And if you know me, you'll know that when I'm not functioning as a doctor, if I, my relationship is something other than doctor, I don't like it when you call me doctor. I, it's not necessary. Instead, call me, call me by the name you know me from. And so that's, you know, my friends call me Hans. Uh, the, the kids in the neighborhood call me Mr. Watson or Brother Watson. Um, whereas, you know, if, I, if you're a patient of mine and that's the only way I know you, then it's appropriate. Call me Dr. Watson. But to me, that's not, that's not the end-all be-all because I'm very proud of the work I do. So I don't need you to, you to call me that when I'm not in that doctor-patient relationship with you. Or, you know, if I were training somebody, that type of thing, doctor's still appropriate. Well, this psychologist at this facility wanted everybody at every time to call them by doctor and would get very angry when there were some mixed messages. You would, you would be in there and they would start to say, I am doctor so-and-so. And then they would say, and therefore, and they get the end and they'd say, oh, so you're one of the doctors here. Yes, I'm one of the doctors here. So the patients would come up and say, I've been having this, this sinus pain here, wondering if it's a sinus infection, if you could look at it. And this person would get so angry when they'd say, I'm not one of those doctors that does the medicine. I'm a psychologist. And they go, you said you're a doctor. What do you mean you can't, you can't help me with a sinus infection? Are you a doctor or not? And this individual would get very angry because they would have to say to them, I am not a medical doctor. I'm not a physician. And they'd say, why do you call yourself doctor then if you're just a psychologist? And sadly, the, the answer was because they are a doctor. That is the appropriate term. But the, the fact that they called themselves doctor outside of a therapy environment was confusing for many people because in the United States, doctor is just loosely associated with physician, medical doctor. And so that's a, that's a key distinction that we're going to talk about today. What's the difference between doctor and a physician? And so look at that. This uh, same this uh, same thing we see with uh, in, in politics today. There's been a lot of, of criticism towards uh, President Biden's wife from people who don't like her. And I, I think it's, I think it's uh, while they have some points, I also think it's unfair, so I kind of neutral on this, but Jill Biden, when she was 55 years old, finished a PhD in education and insists outside of educational spheres that she referred to as Dr. Biden. And then people are making fun of her saying, you're not a medical doctor. The only people we call doctor outside of your area of expertise are physicians. 
And so there's, there's quite a bit of hum ha and, and here's the secret. Technically, she is a doctor, but she's not a medical doctor. And so uh, I, I'm of the opinion, even when medical doctors are there, don't make people call you doctor if you're not actually in a professional capacity. But that's, that's a personal preference too. So, so um, you know, there are a lot of arguments and you can see all, of, all the, uh, everything we're gonna talk about today, you can find resources to this and, and citations down in our, our show notes at the bottom. But um, as you look at that, uh, you know, it's, it's to the point where many people argue that those who demand to be called doctor outside of their uh, professional life are actually showing you how insecure they are and they're trying to prop up their ego because they're, they're struggling with what they've accomplished where they may not have as much confidence. And there might be some truth to that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take a stand one way or the other. The purpose of this is just to help people to clarify the language that they want and to understand the difference between um, the different types of doctors that are out there. So let's look at this. Now, since this is mental health in the good life, we're going to help you to understand how this applies to mental health. So there are two different types of doctors in mental health. There are the types who deal with medicine, the types who deal with psychology, and at the top there is one group that does both. And so let's look at that. We're gonna start with the group that does both. These are the psychiatrists. Remember, there's a difference between psychologist and psychiatrist. These ones are the psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a doctor who has become a physician. This means that they went to medical school and, and completed a medical, uh, a psychiatry residency. And so they are the physician over mental health that can do everything a psychologist does and everything the, the regular medical doctor can do. And so they are medical doctors. So they can do everything a medical doctor does plus everything a psychologist can do. They are the only one that has all encompassing, but they pay for that. And the way they pay for that is it takes about 50,000 hours to become a residency trained psychiatrist, a residency trained physician in psychiatry. And so most people don't understand, psychiatrists go to medical school and at the end of medical school, every one of those medical students gets to choose, do I wanna go into surgery and become an orthopedic surgeon or general surgeon or a, a, a neurosurgeon? Do I want to go into general medicine and become family med doc, internal medicine doc? Do I wanna go into OBGYN or pediatrics or one of the other options is psychiatry, which is just a specialty inside of medicine. And so when you hear somebody say they're a psychiatrist, they are somebody who is a medical doctor, the same way that your, your surgeons or your OBGYNs or your family med or your pediatricians are medical doctors. And their area of expertise is they did a specific residency or specialty training in mental health. And they learned everything that, that you'd need for medicines and diagnoses and, and all that stuff, plus everything a psychologist would know. They are the the big, everything comes together, but it takes 50,000 hours to do that. In fact, some of those hours are in the undergraduate. Their undergraduate degrees, because pre-medical school, the pre-med requisites are so intense, they tend to be much higher than any other specialties pre-med or, or pre-graduate school requirements. And so 33,000 of those hours tend to be in, in after 
um, after the bachelor's degree, whereas uh, you're going to see much lower numbers with everybody else. So keep that number in mind. To be a psychiatrist, the doctor or physician, I'm using the term wrong even myself, the physician over mental health, 50,000 hours is the, is the minimum number of training and people go up from that when they become child and adolescent or forensic or geriatric or, or any of those. So, so keep that in mind. Now, um, when we get to the psychologists, this is where it gets interesting because many of the psychologists, they are doctors. It's a, but it's no longer a, a uh, medical degree. You know, you're not, you're not sitting there on a plane and somebody says, is there a doctor? Nobody's saying, is there a, a, somebody with a doctorate in therapy that can help us with this person who's having a seizure? No, instead what they are saying is, is there somebody who's been to medical school? And that's where some hurt feelings come because they'll say, we're doctors, but the general population is saying, no, when I say doctor, I mean physician, graduated from medical school and did a residency. I am not going to take a stand. Just understand this is the big difference. So when it comes time to it, psychologists also use doctor and then you're going to have some others. Any of these others can too. But before we jump into psychology, let me tell you one area that has caused a lot of confusion. Inside mental health, when we're dealing with just the medical side, it's gotten a little confusing. Psychiatrists tr traditionally have been trained to be able to do everything a psychologist can do to include psychotherapy, testing, all these kind of things. And they can do all of that, but they also are physicians who can do all of the medical stuff too. So those two things create this great pyramid to where it comes up at the top and you get the pinnacle, right? But what they discovered was hospitals and insurance groups discovered, hey, if we just have them push pills, it takes a lot less time, so it's cheaper for us, and we can move patients quicker. And so they started pressuring and succeeded in pressuring many residency programs to only train psychiatrists to push a pill, move on. This is a problem because psychiatrists tend to be the only ones with the training to be able to tell when a condition is due to a behavior or due to a medical cause. And I'll give you a simple example. Many times when people have struggles dealing with their emotions and controlling their behaviors in a day, there can be two different causes. The most common cause is I haven't learned for, for many times reasons and environments that they grew up in that were not their fault. So they're innocent here, but they never gained the skills to deal with life stress without using terrible emotional reactions. You know, they, they overreact, they ignore other things that are dangerous, they sometimes uh, hurt themselves, cut themselves, these types of things. And so you see that there's up and down every day, depression and then anxiety that is just out of control both directions. And so the first one we call borderline personality disorder. And there's a whole other podcast on that if you want to go look at that. So borderline personality disorder is due to not having the behaviors or those coping skills to deal with life stress without understanding how to do it without freaking out. Well, there's another medical cause of this, and we're excluding other medical causes like your hormones are out of balance. Maybe your thyroid's the problem. Maybe diabetes that doesn't work so your brain's not have full. There's tons of medical causes of this too. 
some cancers can do it, that type of stuff. HIV can do it, Inf uh, viral infections. There's all these other medical causes that we're not gonna get into right now, but there's a second cause that we will say has the same symptoms, totally different cause, and it's called bipolar disorder. In bipolar disorder, you're brain damaged to where you become psychotic. You're out of touch with reality, and that out of touch with the reality, you are still actually experiencing those same ups and downs and unable to control yourself. But it's not because you lacked the skills and you haven't had a chance to learn those skills. It's because your brain is literally damaged to where neurons aren't functioning correctly. The one where there's brain damage and neurons aren't functioning correctly. We'll see things on that like you literally go 21 days without needing sleep as if you're high on methamphetamine the whole time. That's much different. I have pills to fix that if I'm over here and the pills are the mainstay and therapy is just a support, a help. If you're on the other one, the borderline personality disorder where you just need to gain those skills, which is easier said than done, therapy is the mainstay of treatment and medications are just a support. Notice how one side medications are the, are the mainstay, the other therapy is the mainstay, but they both support each other. And so what you'll have is the physician is the only one with enough training to be able to correctly identify the difference. It's really good. And eventually some of their helpers after enough years of experience and coaching could do that, but you need that physician at the head. And then what happens from there is, um, you, you get them to the, the appropriate people that can take care of whichever that is. The therapy, we'd be sending them over to the therapist's side of the house. The medicine, we'd get the medicines. And many times we, we help each other, right? We collaborate. So, so that's, the, that's why you want a physician at the head of this because they're the only ones with the 50,000 hours of training to be able to distinguish the nuances of the difference there. Now, in, in reality, there are a bunch of conditions that are so uh, understandable that they can have somebody with much less training that can do that, as long as they have supervision from a physician that could say to them, you missed some really important things that change this diagnosis. While I agree these symptoms do look similar to what we'd see in the brain dysfunction in bipolar, this is actually borderline because of this. They aren't going 21 days without sleep and, and psychotic during that time. And we have a whole nother podcast on that, so don't worry. Instead, here's the reasons this is where therapy is the mainstay. And so, that's important to do, but in those cases, they could also prescribe it. So medicine, the mental health side of medicine has identified some helpers that can do that. And we call them nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. Their job is to help the physician with the cases that some might nickname easy, even though I've never found an easy case, but they're more simple. They're not as severe. And, and they can do that. And some are excellent after they get years and years of experience. Here's the difference though. As we get there, a, whereas your, your psychiatrist, that residency trained physician, they have 50,000 hours of training. The, the nurse practitioner or the physician assistant, remember how the psychiatrist had eight years of training at 80 to 100 hours a week of, during that training. That's the total where they get that 50,000. Well, nurse practitioner or physician assistant averages 40 hours a week in their training. And so they only get the basics of medicine. How can you do that? Their total time, including their bachelor's degree, is about 12 and a half thousand hours on average. So one's getting 12 and a half thousand hours of training. The other is getting 50,000 hours of training. Why would we expect them to have the same diagnostic 
and, and understanding treatment skills where they haven't done it. One of them gets two years after a bachelor's degree of working 40 hours a week. The other one gets eight at working 80 to 100 hours a week. Tell me how they're supposed to be equivalent. And so you can see where the, the difference there is. Of course a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about what the, the laws say because the, the, the laws have been affected by politicians who, who have accepted money from different organizations and they've done that. And I'll tell you what the studies show and you can make your own decision, but many nurse practitioners or have been able to practice alone and I'll tell you I've had to clean up a lot of their messes in my personal experience. Um, but I have nurse practitioners that work for me. I actually see a nurse practitioner for my own healthcare. Love the nurse practitioner. I have nothing negative to say about them. Let's just not pretend that they have the same training as a physician with 50,000 hours. They have 12 and a half. Do you see the difference? Do you see why you would want somebody to be supervising them that has 50,000 hours? Plus all the years of experience, it gets even better. And so, so, you know, that's not even accounting the decade of experience I have on top of that. And so that's where the difference is. But can they help? Can they help many people? You bet. Can they prescribe medications as long as they have me to then say, hey, question, here's what I'm thinking, but here's some things that I'm not used to seeing. Does this change anything? Where I could say absolutely or no, no, you're exactly on the right page. Keep going. So as you're going, you'll understand a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, they are the assistants to the physician meant to practice under the supervision. And um, the, the secret there is in some states, politicians have been successfully uh, uh, lobbied and they have given them independent practice and the outcomes, there, there are studies and you'll see the nurse practitioner association show you outcome studies that show that they're equal. Well, those studies, what they're not going to tell you is, yeah, we only did it for a short time. So long term, we can't tell if their outcomes are the same. There just came out a big study that's being, being cited now where they looked at it three years later. The outcomes are not great for those that are seeing only a, a mid-level provider, which would be a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant without any physician oversight. And so and it depends on where your bias is. If your bias is, don't you try to make me go to medical school and do all those extra hours before I get the same privileges as somebody with 50,000 hours? You're going to be unhappy and you're going to cite the study that shows, shows the short term. In the short term, we help them. We're going to ignore what the long term is. And if you're somebody who says, no, they shouldn't do that, that, that introduces unfair competition to where now I'm not going to get, get uh, uh, reimbursed the same way for all my time. Why would anybody want to go to medical school when it takes five times more more time and energy. And so you can see where if I could get the same privilege without having to put it on all 50,000 hours and only 12 and a half, why wouldn't I try for that? Well, the real answer is the long-term studies are showing patient outcomes and costs are, uh, patient outcomes are worse when they are not supervised. Makes sense. They only have about a, what, 20% of the training and they, um, they, uh, the, the costs actually go up. And so it depends on your political bias. Here's the secret. I actually love my nurse practitioner that sees me and, and I'm not going to talk badly about them. I have nurse practitioners in my practice. The difference is they have a physician they can come to. I trust them greatly. Um, I would trust them with my family members and have done so. Okay, so that's the difference. Psychiatrist is the only one that we're going to talk about today that can do all of the, the, the psychology side and all the medicine side. And on the other side of the medicine, you're going to have 
you have the physician, which is a psychiatrist, or a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, heads up, they can get a PhD in nurse practitioner or a PhD in, in, as a physician assistant, and they do get to use the title of doctor but they don't have even close to the same training as a residency trained physician. Add a couple thousand more hours on there, from 12 to 16, we'll say. You know, you're not even close to 50,000, but they do have the right and they are being honest when they say they are a doctor. They are not a physician though. That's why my patient that asked, I taught them to say, are you a physician versus are you a doctor? And, and that was the answer. So, so then we look at the other side. Now we're going to look at the mental health side. Knowing psychiatrists can do all of the mental health side. There's a difference here. And there are many people who are allowed to call themselves doctor on this side as well. And so the very top of this non, you know, we know the very top are psychiatrists. But right below them are some very valuable people called psychologists. You'll remember that my family member asked me, which are you, a psychologist or a psychiatrist? And I had to say, psychiatrist. I have the all 50,000 hours plus decade of experience. Instead, what they wondered is, I don't know the difference. Well, it gets even more confusing because in some states, remember, everybody wants to be a physician without having to put in the, the sacrifice and the 50,000 hours. In some states, they're actually allowing psychologists to do a quick little one or two year course and prescribe medicines. So they're trying to now do exactly what the nurse practitioners and PAs are and practice independently. It's never going to stop. There's always going to be a group of people that want the same privilege without having to sacrifice with the same training. Not going to stop it. That's not my, that's not my, uh, my cause here and I'm not going to take it on. But psychologists, what you want to look at them, they go to undergraduate, but the difference is they're not doing pre-medicine courses. They're doing psychology degrees or some of them do social work degrees. These are the easiest degrees in college. How do I know? I have one just as easy. Psychology, social work, po political science, and communications are the four that are just easy. In fact, it's, they're so easy. When I did my undergraduate degree, I did not buy any of the books and I still got all A, well, almost all A's got to be here and there. And I got all A's without even buying the books or doing homework. I could just go to class every day, take really good notes and crush it. I did the prerequisites for medicine. Every hour of, of, every hour of lecture that I sat in, I had to plan on two to three hours of homework because the, the material was so intense. Completely different. So the undergraduates are very difficult to get into medical school that on purpose they're a weeding process psychology social work not so these are very valuable but they're very easy degrees compared to your chemistries and your biologies and your microbiologies that you get going into medicine and as you look at that they therefore and then their graduate school it's much easier too every one of these people who is a psychologist gets a phd or a psyd these are two degrees that are both doctorate degrees. PhD and PsyD are, are virtually the same. Um, and so we'll talk about that. And, and, um, and, and, and a psychologist can go into one of three areas. They can go into, into research area, which they call clinical psychology. So they're doing mostly research. They can go into actually doing therapy. And, and, and so they call that counseling psychology. And the third one they go into is school psychology. And that one's pretty self-explanatory. And so they'll pick a track on which of these three they're going to go into. And they're distinctly different. 
Now, the one we're talking about today is going to be on the counseling psychologist. The counseling psychologists are the ones you're going to see if you're getting therapy in mental health. And these are very valuable people. Love them to death. They're actually the only other group other than physicians that can become psychoanalysts, and, and, uh, which is, is a whole other uh, uh, level uh, other than that. And so um, what they learn is they have a total of eight years, including their bachelor's degree most of the time. If they go part-time, sometimes it can extend out to 10 years, but that's, that's still, they're just making their, their, their PhD years only working part-time on the PhD and probably part-time at a, a job they're paying for. And, and so they're, um, they're, uh, that can be 10 years, but it's eight years. Now remember, a physician is 50,000 hours to become a psychiatrist. These guys, if you get your PhD, you, you know, and many of the PhD programs, it's I have a PhD and, and you got your master's in the first part of your PhD program and then you have your, your PhD in the second half. And so that four years after, after uh, uh, the bachelor's degree tends to be master's and PhD or PsyD, whichever one you have. And that one's 16 and a half thousand hours. So 16 and a half compared to 50. That's the difference. And so they, they, these, these people tend to be very good at their therapy. Um, they tend to be, have understanding. And they actually get to do some of the jobs that psychiatrists said, they're so boring, we don't want to do them all. And one of them is psychological testing, where you come in and for two or three hours, you fill out paperwork and you do, you know, A, B, C, or D, true or false, and you're doing this. And the psychiatrist found it so boring that they actually said, no, psychologists, since we're the top of the pyramid, the highest trained, psychologists, this is now your duty. And psychologists were, were gracious enough to say, we'd love to. And so they now do most of your testing. I'm one of the few that also has training in these testings and interpretation. But, um, but uh, as you look at that, that's where the psychologist, and they rightly can call themselves doctor also, but they are not a physician, right? And so, so you have that. Now, inside mental health, right below the psychologist, there's another group that are master's level. And these guys are th wonderful, helpful people that I love. And they're things like social workers, um, mental health counselors or certified mental health counselor is the official title, licensed professional counselors or marriage and family therapists. So you know, licensed marriage and family therapists is how they go. So whether you're a social worker, a licensed professional counselor, certified mental health counselor or licensed marriage and family therapist, these guys are all on the same level and they have slightly different viewpoints that they like to specialize in. These are two years after your bachelor's degree and they're a master's level, um, which is the lowest level that you can actually see people. And they're very valuable. In fact, my own psychotherapy, when I did it, I saw a licensed clinical social worker two years after. Wonderful person, have nothing but compliments. I love these people in my practice. They do excellent work. Um, but they, once again, if you go hot and heavy into school, it's 40 hours a week, not that 80 or 100 hours a week that the, that the physician, that psychiatrist is doing. And their total hours, bachelor's and their, their graduate school included, remember the, the physician, that psychiatrist who we call doctor, they are 50,000 hours. This one is 12,000 hours. So you're seeing just how much less. They're on par with your nurse practitioners or, or your physician's assistants, more or less. And um, they do therapy and then can do some case management stuff where they place people. If you have intellectual disabilities, what resources in the community are available, that type of stuff. And so they, they have that. Now there's one other that I keep getting questions about and they are a group called life coaches. And I wanna be really clear. I have nothing negative to say about life coaches. Love many life coaches, but 
um, the information I will give you actually comes from the uh, comes from their own websites so that I'm not saying anything negative and, and slanderous to anybody. Um, there are absolutely no requirements for becoming a life coach. And if, if you want the, the citations, uh, they're down in the show notes. There are no requirements to become a life coach whatsoever. Um, in fact, uh, the, the, if you go to the Life Coach Magazine website, um, they actually have one that says, right now, in this moment, if you decide you're a life coach, you are. Congratulations. That, that, there, that leaves no doubt. There is no requirement to become a life coach. Um, and the Guardian even phrased it this way, um, the, the Guardian newspaper, unlike therapists, life coaches don't diagnose or treat anything. Unlike supportive friends, they charge you money to listen. And so, so uh, you know, keep in mind, life coaches are not mental health providers, period. There is no requirement to become a life coach. There is no requirement um, for training or anything else. Some people can choose, but they are not allowed. They cannot become licensed mental health providers under the current laws. They are only allowed, and they even say this on their own, on their own websites, they only are allowed to ask questions and reflect. And that makes sense because they don't have the training on the conscious, conscious mind, the unconscious mind, how psychology affects our feelings, anything like that. They just basically can say, based on my life experience, let me ask you some questions and let you hopefully feel good about it. So uh, many people, uh, as you read the forums, will just say, these are paid friends, which are very valuable. What if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of social connections? And you find a life coach to where you can have somebody you pay money to to be your friend that will hear you out and truly genuinely care about you. That's a very valuable service. And so I don't want to say anything negative, but they themselves say we are not licensed to do any mental health. So they cannot diagnose and they cannot give treatment. They can only listen and reflect back or mirror back what you've said, which there's some really valuable things too. And so as we look at that, please don't confuse life coach with the master's level therapist or the psychologist or the psychiatrist or over here the nurse practitioners and PAs, uh, you know. And so they're completely different, but they're very valuable. Nothing negative to say about them as long as we understand they're tr they have no training. They are simply there to listen and reflect. Your, your master's level clinicians, they have training. They're the ones at this point, they're the lowest in the number of hours of training. Psychologists get about 4,000 more hours, but psychiatrists, you can see where that's the difference. I graduated, when I graduated my program, I had many thousand more hours, many tens of thousands more hours than, than anybody else. I graduated thousands and thousands of hours in psychotherapy. And, and part of that was I did extra because I realized just how important that was. But as you look at this, understand when it comes to my family member, which am I? I'm a psychiatrist. I did all 50,000. I, I, um, I do not have a problem with anybody who has gotten a doctorate degree. Lawyers, engineers, uh, uh, you know, lawyers, engineers, you could say social workers, uh, clin uh, uh, mental health counselors, uh, nurse practitioners, PAs, you get your doctorate, yes even in education, you get to call yourself doctor. The question that we should be asking is, is your doctor a physician is what that patient meant to ask. And the answer there was, yes, I am a physician. 
very proud of it. Now, the last thing that I keep getting from people, and, uh, and we'll do this, is remember, there's multiple ways to become a physician. One is called MD, which is, and the other is DO. And people will say, what's the difference? It's really simple. For all of time, it seems, in the modern, in modern era, the traditional training on medicine was allopathic. And when you graduated an allopathic school, you got an MD degree. When you, the, about the Civil War, they had a gentleman who said, his name was A.T. Still, and he said, hey, turns out there's more than just medicines and surgery that can help people. Sometimes they need rehabilitation in other ways. You know, think of it kind of like this is the early sports medicine thinker. And A.T. Still said, sometimes we need to help the body to be more in a line and to open up the vessels to flow without kinks in them and some other things, the muscles to, to actually relax so that you don't have these things. And so he actually started what we call osteopathic medicine, which incorporated everything that allopathic or MD world had, and then he added to it with everything that you'd think in, in like sports medicine. As an, as an aside, he actually at one point had some students that said, this is too hard to learn everything that a doctor has to know. A, I did it there, everything a physician has to know. And, and he said, and he had some students quit after they had only learned the sports medicine side and they started a new, a new uh, career called chiropractic. And so now you'll see chiropractic doctors. And all they did is they ignored everything that the MDs knew and they only incorporated this addition that A.T. Still put on there. A.T. Still was an M.D. himself. And so th there's been two different ways of training. And for the most of the U.S. history, allopathic training has been about 85% or higher of that. And so the people in academia who don't deal with real life say, oh, we're much more prestigious, we're much better. And so for years it's, there's been some increased uh, prestige with the allopathic. Well, now they're starting to realize, turns out an MD is wonderful. We should never ignore anything they say, but even they have adopted, oh, turns out we want sports medicine. DO has been incorporating that since the Civil War. So as you think about it, MD and DO are the exact same. The only difference is a DO is an MD with additional training or additional skills. But even then, most DOs eventually go into a specialty and quit doing the sports medicine side that, the, that they do. So as you think of this, MD is an allopathic trained person who can do everything an MD does. DO is a person who is trained on everything the MD knows plus everything a chiropractor and most of what sports medicine knows as well. And so uh, when we're talking about MDDO, realize they're the, they're the same for all intents and purposes with that additional training. Um, and uh, here's the thing that drove some of the academic heads nuts. They actually just combined their accreditation bodies. So instead of MD and DO accreditation, residencies are now a single accreditation body for both because they realized, look, these people have been working alongside it. Most people are seeing a DO they didn't even know and they'll call them an MD. Nobody cares outside of these schools where the academic people titles matter more than the work they do. So keep that in mind. Now, now hopefully this helps you to understand um, the difference between psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker, a licensed professional counselor, a, a certified mental health counselor, or a, a marriage and family therapist. You see that? And the difference between a psychiatrist and a nurse practitioner. 
As you are asking the question, is your doctor a doctor? The answer is yes. If you meant to ask, is your doctor a physician? You'll have to ask the individual there. And bottom line, just because you're being seen by a nurse practitioner or a psychologist or a therapist does not mean you're getting worse care. In fact, sometimes it's even better because they'll have additional time to focus on, on the things that they need to know. So don't doubt their, their, their performance or their abilities just by their title. Instead, look at the outcomes of whether their patients get better or worse. That's what you want to judge this by. And every one of them, I'm going to tell you right now, every one of them is a valuable team member. I couldn't see all the patients without having my nurse practitioner as part of my practice, my private practice. I would hate to not have patients that could see my psychologist or my, my master's level clinicians that do therapy because most people can't afford to pay the cash rate that it takes to pay me to do their therapy. So they need to use their insurance. So you can see where most of them provide such a valuable service. And guess what? They all come to me and I give them supervision for both the therapy side and the medical side. So when you ask, is your doctor a doctor? Understand why you're asking that. If you think it's because they're a medical concern, then you might need a physician. But if, you, if not, and as long as the diagnosis is there and you, you are working on it, you may be just great with a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, a psychologist, or even a, um, a master's level therapist. So hope that helps you. All right, guys, keep in mind, we'll keep these coming. And uh, on the next one, we're going to help you uh, see the difference between um, borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. So look forward to it then. You guys all be well.